Now, back to the Frontier Freedom Hour with Jeff Hunt, sponsored by Centennial Institute at Colorado Christian University. Here's Jeff Hunt. All right, we're talking with Paul Batura, best-selling author, essayist, storyteller, pundit, speaker, and vice president of communications at Focus on the Family. So if you're like me, you almost don't even read the news anymore. Why? Why? Because you, it's just so driven by this leftist activist worldview that, you know, you're not even getting news. I remember one time someone said, we should just sue them for fraud. They're not doing news anymore. They're doing commentary and activism and claiming that it's news. So what if you want to explore today's issues from a Christian perspective? Where do you go for for an honest assessment of what's happening, something that's not going to denigrate your beliefs? Well, the Daily Citizen is produced by Focus on the Family. If you go to dailycitizen.focusonthefamily.com, you can get this information. Focus on the Family's Daily Citizen provides a faith-based perspective to counter the mainstream media's anti-Christian bias. It's managed by Paul Patura, who serves as Vice President of Communications for Focus on the Family. He's with us today. So, Paul, give us some insight into the origin of the Daily Citizen and what you all are seeking to achieve with it. Yeah, you know, thanks, Jeff, for uh, mentioning that, your kind words about it. Uh, it dates back uh, to 1989 when we started what was then called Citizen Magazine, which was a, you know, a traditional, uh, believe it or not, started out as a four-page monthly newsletter that then evolved into a more of a, a regular magazine. And uh, over the years it grew, it became uh, you know, 30, 40 pages, took advertisements. It was a great resource, and it was our chance of course, to, to jump into the public policy issues that uh, impact families. Uh, but like anything else, it, times evolve, issues evolve, technology evolves, and we were losing subscribers and we were paying more money for postage. And so the thought was, well, let's take the monthly Citizen magazine, which was 10 to 12 articles a month, let's turn it into a digital product, which we then do three to four articles a day. So it's it's a timely opportunity for us to to uh, offer analysis on a variety of issues. We tend to focus on those issues that are of relevance uh, to the mission of Focus on the Family, which would be evangelism, marriage, parenting, uh, advocacy, which would be the sanctity of life, adoption, foster care, and then engaging the culture. So that's the kind of the milieu that you'll find if you jump onto our site, which is uh, uh, dailycitizen.focusonthefamily.com. Why do you think trust in media is at an all-time low? Oh, I think because they've done a terrible job. You know, there's, it, you know, all media has a bias. You know, I think you have to recognize that. I, Paul Harvey was kind of my idol growing up, and uh, he said it. And he, when I did a biography on him, he was very open about that. He said, you know, there's all, always going to be a bias by what you put in a story and what you leave out. So let's be honest about that. But, you know, that's why he called his show News and Comment. Like he was acknowledging that he was delivering news, but he was also commenting on it. The press has reliably let us down. I mean, it's you can almost count on it that they're going to take their lefty, uh, radical, progressive perspective, and they're not going to tell you uh, the whole story. And But yet they're going to purport that they are. And I think we've lost tremendous uh, trust in media, and so that's why... You know, people flock to shows like yours and to other new media that uh, gives them what they're not getting 
from the traditional mainstream press. I think one of the most heartbreaking aspects of today's media is that we all grew up with high trust factors around centralized media, right? ABC, CBS, NBC. I remember in the 80s and 90s when I was growing up, you could generally watch those and get a sense that you were getting the whole story without a lot of commentary. What I've seen now pop up, and my goodness, if you just follow me on Twitter, um, you'll see that's where some of the fights are where I have with journalists. And, and Paul, truth be told, I don't even invite journalists to what we do anymore because, one, they don't tell the truth. I remember the Denver Post one time. We had massive Antifa protests outside of the Western Conservative Summit. We were hosting Andy No, who's a journalist, and they were going crazy. Antifa was, they were baking cakes and throwing them because we had Jack Phillips there and all that stuff. And the Denver SWAT team had to come down and protect our students. And then the next day in the Denver Post, they said, um, oh, it was a peaceful rally rally with uh, no, no protests whatsoever. And I was like, well, you're not even telling the truth. So one, you tell the truth, but then two, uh, the, when they come to our events, they they skew it in such a way that I'll read the news article afterwards, and I'm like, what event were they at? This was nothing like what we put on stage, what we talked about. The Western Conservative Summit, for instance, is this great showcase celebrating faith, family, and freedom. We love our country. At one point, um, we celebrated religious freedom for all people. We had Muslims and Catholics and Protestants and Mormons and Jews and everybody, Sikhs, all together on the stage at one time. We're pledging religious freedom to each other. None of that was covered. I swear they interviewed somebody out in the, in the parking lot that they didn't even know or wasn't even in the room. So you read the coverage and it's so biased and broken that it just feels like I've invited an activist that hates us in to try to tell our story and they have no interest in telling it. Well, I could get on this soapbox all oh, day, I, Paul, but I mean, it, oh, it, it, they took these great institutions and squandered them. No, they have. And as a conservative, I'm always cautious to invoke like Soviet uh, metaphors <laughs> and things like that. But what you just described reminds me of Peggy Noonan wrote a great book on John Paul II, Pope John Paul II. And she talked about the crack that appeared when John Paul went to Krakow, Poland, and he held mass and there were like a million people showed up. It was an unbelievable thing. Now, this is in the era of communism. And she said millions of people flocked to it. And then when they went home and turned on their TV, they didn't see anything about it. And that was when they realized the government is lying to us. Yeah. Like what we saw with our own eyes is not what the media and what the government media is telling us. That's, she said, when things began to change. And I think that's why we see now, thankfully, for the new media, those of us who are uh, not being spoon-fed have uh, critical thinking skills and are able to think for ourselves and see the, the bias and the fact that it's there and very, very uh, prevalent. Elon Musk thinks that X.com is basically going to get rid of traditional journalism and everything's going to be individuals kind of posting, which I, I do think there's going to be a problem there because sometimes there's just stuff that out there is, that it just isn't true. And the internet can definitely drive that. But especially following COVID and and even, you know, the 2016 election, the 2020 election. I think people just have such a low uh, view of media that they're they're willing to take stuff that's just posted on X without critically thinking about it. That's all. I mean, we're in this big evil right now. It's going to be interesting to see how this all flushes out. 
Yeah, anytime you give freedom, you know, there comes responsibility. And, you know, again, self-discipline won't work without self uh, self-discipline doesn't work without any type of uh, people monitoring themselves, you know, and you need to be careful. You need to be discerning what you see and what you hear. You can't just accept it. Uh, you have to be willing to check it and uh, be willing to um, uh, think critically for yourself. So dailycitizen.focusonthefamily.com. They're covering news on a daily, from a daily perspective. So you you can get updated information there. This isn't stuff that's three weeks, four weeks, five weeks old. You're going to get fresh information on, on a daily timeline. So let's talk a little bit about some of your articles there. One was beware the demand to get paid more to work less. You're kind of covering the auto strike. United Auto Worker strike enters the 13th day of the strike. Headlines highlighting their demands are focusing on a coordinated play for higher and more equitable wages. Yet one more significant stipulation is indirectly related to compensation. 32-hour work week for 40 hours of pay. What are your thoughts on this, Paul? Yeah, this is the idea that uh, you want to get paid for doing less. And, I mean, heck, I mean, who doesn't want to make more money? But what, what struck me about the, these demands were the folks suggesting that everybody wins in this scenario because workers get more money, families get more time with the workers, and therefore everybody wins. But the reality is less work will be done or more people have to be hired to do the work. And who's going to pay for that? Well, you know, you often hear people say, well, government will pay for it. Well, government doesn't pay for anything. You and I pay for it. <laughs> right. As the same goes true with, you know, you raise taxes on businesses and, well, who's going to pay the taxes? Businesses don't pay taxes. Consumers pay taxes. So it's just this reality check. Uh, and then getting into, you know, the more spiritual side of it, which is, uh, you know, work uh, are we to be working unto the Lord? I mean, do we see work as merely a means to an end, or do we see it as a way to bring glory to God using the gifts that he's given us to make the best use of the time that we're given? We're up against a commercial break, but I'm going to challenge you a little bit on this, and you get into it in your article with, you know, the history of this debate over a 40-hour work week. You write, with the coming of the Industrial Revolution, some Americans worked as many as 80 to 100 hours a week across six days. It was in 1869 when President Ulysses S. Grant issued a proclamation limiting government shifts to eight hours. You also notice that during the um, uh, prior to the Civil War and the Industrial Revolution, most Americans were rooted in agricultural pursuits. And so technology has changed how we work. But some people, some smart, even I would put in, their, in the kind of conservative camp, maybe not socially conservative, but people like P- Peter Thiel are saying, like, maybe technology should advance so we don't have to work 40 hours a week and we can uh, spend more time with our family and and enjoy that time but it doesn't seem like we've necessarily done that so there's a there's a historical component to this there's a spiritual component that god creates us to work and um, there's just a, a reality to it that we need money in our bank accounts and so uh, many of us have to go out there and work in order to achieve that we're talking to paul batura the steely scribe from focus on the family On the Frontier Freedom Hour, we'll be back with him after these messages. 